Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. You are listening to the Bulls Cast with Chris Stonich and Ben Goddard, your independent Hereford FC podcast. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Bulls Cast, your independent Hereford FC podcast brought to you by the Hereford Times. And uh, it is myself, Chris Donage, as always, uh, joined by the Hereford Times sports editor, Mr. Ben Goddard. How are you, Ben? Good afternoon. Yeah, I just about warmed up after the weekend's trip to Southport. (laughs) I think uh, all travelling Bulls fans are probably the same situation. It was uh, Baltic and took quite a long time to, to feel normal again. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, being up in the northwest in in the in the winter, as I've been for for Liverpool games in the previous. I mean, it's it's just like it's freezing, it's cold, um, different levels. But I can imagine. Um, in terms of uh, just going up there, Ben, um, the the whole journey, the experience. Um, how was it? Um, and how annoying was it to come home with a defeat? Yeah, Southport's a nice little trip actually, because it's like you and I would. I think there was problems on the motorway on Saturday night. So we, uh, so I travelled up uh, through Shrewsbury and a bit long-winded way through the outskirts of Liverpool and then uh, over to Southport. So, yeah, it's a straight one of the straightforward trips. A bit lengthy, but, yeah, it's uh, it's not too bad, actually. Yeah, could be a lot worse and uh, a bit wet, mind, but uh, it was all right. And then stopped at a nice little pub on the outskirts, right outside the ground, had some lunch and then... Uh, Made our made our way to the ground, so yeah, it's a nice day out until until we got to the ground really, <laughs> and then yeah. uh, the bitter wind coming off the coast and the driving rain, just as you expect Southport to be really lived up to expectations of being an absolute bleak place to play football. Yeah, well, I mean, if you think about it, they, they are unbeaten at home and they still are unbeaten at home. Um, not just only down to those conditions, but to the to the pitch conditions as well, Ben. Talk us through the game, really. Yeah, the pitch got worse as the game went on, which is no surprise because it was driving rain uh, for most. I think there was a little spells when it wasn't, but for most of the 90 minutes, it was torrential rain. Um, and the, as normal, the pit, the pitch was soft when we got there and... And it just got deteriorated um, as it would in 90 minutes of football. Um, and by the end of it, yeah, I mean, the, the goal mouths, um, particularly the one Hereford were defending in the second half um, in front of the Southport fans, um, was just a bog of mud um, as the second goal really um, showed. I mean, it was not not conducive football uh conditions for football at all and the pitch just didn't um there's a couple of pitches in the league that that have similar similar styles of football played on them because no one else can play any decent football you're talking Lamington and Kettering that sort of standard of pitch really and um yeah no no, no I'm sure the Southport worked tirelessly to try and get the pitch into best conditions uh because they've got 
they they do try and play a little bit of football on it. Uh, but yeah, where it is, it's like um, it's it's perched up on the um, perched up on the countryside, like really exposed, nothing around the ground, straight off an, an A road. Uh, yeah, and the the wind and the rain just batters it from from the coast straight straight in from the sea, and uh, there's no no um, shelter for anyone. The stands are pretty open. The pitch is just completely exposed to every element, and uh, so that's probably why the pitch is how it is. And I think Everton youths were playing or academy were playing on the pitch on the Tuesday night. So you can imagine what their sort of um, yeah, not the best probably pitch to teach young youngsters the way of the game, is it? And a mud bath of a pitch with uh, scale force winds exposed to it. I mean, yeah, you can't see many professional elite Premier League academies uh, liking a trip to Southport. Definitely not. It probably explains why, you know, uh, lack of, lack of, ta- maybe they're preparing Everton for non-league, you know, because that's probably where they're headed. Um, <laughs> but no. Um, that one. <laughs> on, to, uh, on, on to the goals, really. Josh said in the audio we'll hear in a minute um, about the mistakes and playing against the element. Um, and they sort of combined for each other, didn't they, Ben, really? Yeah, I thought at half-time, Hereford were playing against the wind in the first half which made it hard to get out of their own half, really. And you kind of thought nil-nil half-time. Everfield got a really good chance and getting a decent result because it was hard to play against the wind. Because every time you... I think there was a couple of times um, Brandon Hall kicked it upfield and um, and it literally went... literally caught on the pitch before it came down and you couldn't really there was once I think when Jared Hodgkiss kicked it in the air and it almost came back over his head it was that sort of wind and it was it was re- really horrific at times in that first half and um, you fought nil-nil at half time you thought that's that's good because you can pit Southport will struggle to get out of their box in the second half and then to give them a goal early in the second half um, defensive mistake I mean Jared Hodgkiss left the ball and it kind of got stuck in that muddy box and then so Southport were able to keep it in and then Luke Haynes had a chance to clear it and didn't clear it and it just ended and then it was a good strike actually to, to put it in um, by Southport but yes yeah, so they've got decent strikers Southport but Hereford just gave them chances gave them opportunities and they took both of them well with the goals and um, and the second one was just a mockery really uh, but I think I think Hereford's heads had gone by that point because they've been knocking on the door for about 10-15 minutes. <laughs> Throw Miles Story on, last-ditched attempt to try to get something out of the game. And and um Zelly Ishmael had just pinged one just over the bar five minutes early, but it was really you were clutching at straws and way back into the game. And, and that kind of summed it up really. That the back pass uh, by James Vincent getting stuck in the mud and and Southport know they know what the box does, they know what the conditions are. And they, they're just aware that teams will try and do things like that because they're not aware of how the pitch lies and they get in there and nick the ball. And they're quite, they're quite aware of what's happening. They, they know the conditions. They know they play on it enough times. I don't think they get many still days on the Southport coast. So they know the blustery conditions. They know how the pitch deteriorates. And, they, and even with the, against the wind in the second half, 
they knew just to let over keep passing it around the back and just capitalize on any mistakes. And that's what they did. And you can see why they were beaten because they're hard to beat. Over couldn't find a way through them to try, kept knocking on the door, couldn't find a way through. And then they will capitalize on any mistakes at the back and they'll either draw the game or lose the game or win the game. So I think they've, they've probably won five, drawn four now at home. And uh, you can see why you can see why they've got the record they have because they're very they're very hard to beat on their own ground. I think at Street's a different story because the pitch is also brought in at Southport, so they can capitalise on uh, long throws and corners and set pieces. Um, so so it's hard to play around them. So you got to play through them, and they they're quite a stubborn stubborn outfit. Um, so yeah, they do what they do at home. Um, there's a couple of teams in the league that also do a similar thing at home and fair play, they'll, they'll keep their place in the league and and at the moment they're, they're looking towards the uh, playoffs but if they ever get drawn away in the playoffs then they, they're knackered basically. <laughs> if they'll just be playing for home draws. It's the true definition of, of a home advantage. I love it. I really do. It's proper... Um, proper like old school, like using the elements, and I think it's I think it's really really good that you know that Hereford went there and, and gave him a fight because you can't really train for that. No, no, you can't train for it, and, and Josh Garland certainly won't be training his lads to to play that style of football. The the only way you can beat teams like that on a pitch like that is to go toe to toe and brute force roll them over, um, be more physical than them. Uh, be more brutal than them. They're not. They're not a dirty team like Kettering. Um, they just. They they know what their roles are, and they can do it well. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, it's uh, they Hereford don't want to play like that. You you would not want to watch that them games week in week out and pay your hard earned money as as a home fan and make make yourself stand there in the biting wind. Cold, driving rain every weekend. Every weekend to watch that style of football on a narrow pitch. I'm, I'm not sure. That there's well, I know that their averages average attendance average is around a thousand um, in the Southport, which is quite a big town, really. And uh, maybe a couple from Liverpool, maybe come watch them on one the odd occasion. Um, but yeah, so they should be getting better, better gates than that. Um, but probably down to the style of football, maybe. That they play and 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 which is only which they can only do on their ground really that is their style that's how they've adapted to the conditions I'm not not saying it's the management's style it's it's the conditions play a massive part in that if you're playing against them conditions every week then you've got to adapt your style of football to win in them in them conditions and on that pitch in that location with no 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 um, shelter and the pitch is probably weak most of the season I'm guessing because of the because of the driving rain but in most part of the year on it you've got to adapt and they've adapted and they they play some they play, they win games on that pitch and, and if it's your home pitch and you're playing however many games a season on it 18 games or whatever it is a season on it then you're going to adapt aren't you and you're going to play that way to win matches on it probably not the conditions with the exposed pitch to play how hey if Hereford tried playing on how they they play with a quick attacking football along the floor, and that was your home pitch, then you probably lose a majority of games. So you've you've got to adapt, and you, your tactics have got to adapt to that pitch. 
because that's where half your games are. And if, if you can win half your games, then you're going to be up there in the Sid League, aren't you? 100%. So, 100%. Yeah, it, it's, I, think, I don't think it's Southport's problem that it, it's, it's where they're located. I mean, they're, in, they're on the coast. <laughs> they're, they're not going to move. Even no. if they move pitch, I mean, they'll probably get an equally as battered pitch because it's right on the coastline. I mean, what, what can you do apart from adapt your style of football to play that way? And that's why they struggle away from home because on bigger pitches, on more sheltered pitches like Egger Street, they'll probably struggle. Mm, definitely. Um, another reason why Josh Gowling potentially cited um, a, a bit of a, a disadvantage was referees on the weekend. Um, we'll listen to his audio now and, and just dissect it. And it seems to be a sort of, like, we don't mean to speak about referees, but it seems to be the highlight of... Well, the, the, the problem is, every manager every week is saying the same thing. Yeah. So, it's not just me, is it? So, it's something... And, I, and I've been saying it when we've been winning. So, I know we've lost today, but... I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, <laughs> I don't even know what to say to honest at the moment, because some of the decisions that you see, you just can't fathom what they look at. I mean, the one with... I think it was uh, Luke. He's gone to clear a ball. He's cleared the ball, and the guys ran into him in our box and tackled it and kicked him. And he's given a, he's given a corner. He likes a foul. And then, and then it's extra pressure on the on the on the play. So, but yeah, they see what they see. I'm not a ref. I know it's a tough job, and they've got pressure. But and how, yeah. do, how do we encourage people to become refs? Um, That's the problem, isn't it? Well, the solution would be pay them more, and then you get ex-footballers being refs, and then they know the game. So that'd probably be one of the good solutions for it. But whether or not they'll ever do that, I'm sure they. To be honest, footballers probably won't want to stick either. So. <laughs> Who wants to be a ref? <laughs> so Ben, there is a uh, several several interesting things that, that Josh said within that. Um, one of which is, is his solution for, for referees. Um, he, he said that you should pay it, the reason why then potentially the standards aren't as high is they should pay them more and let ex footballers be referees. But then he also went on to say who would be a referee. Is it a problem that will never be solved, mate? No. <laughs> no, it, it, you're going to really struggle to solve the problem of referee standards, aren't you? Um, it's, it's, it's a problem that's born from the grassroots refereeing, isn't it? Who'd want to be a referee? <laughs> I mean, um, you, you get abuse, you get physical, mental abuse for 90 minutes for 30 quid. I mean, or, or less, starting as a grassroots referee. And you've got to learn somewhere. You've got to get your, your games in somewhere. And and that's that's the, the brunt of it is that if you want better better referees, you've got to have more of them. And so the highest caliber referees then progress into the higher leagues and there's more competition for referee places. The less referees you've got, the, le- the poorer the standard because they're not getting pushed. It's like football, isn't it? If you've only got one winger on your team, the winger is going to be a poorer standard than if he's got three other wingers pushing for his starting place. If you've got a referee that referees every week and knows that he's probably pretty poor on the standards of laws, but he's getting games every week and he's got no time to, to read up or do training courses because he's got work every week and he's playing games every week, then he's not going to be challenged, is he? And, and people in authority are going to worry about challenging them because they're worrying of where the next referee is going to come from. If you slate a referee that badly that he says, that's it, I'm, I'm not refereeing anymore, then if you've got no other referee coming in, then you've got a really serious problem. So I think until the numbers of referees around, 
are dramatically increased and the level of abuse referees get is dramatically increased, then it's going to be a problem. Um, but you're the referee, <laughs> you tell us. I'm a, I am a referee and I'll tell you what, it is It is hard. It's, it's the, one of the hardest jobs in, in football. I do it because I want to see football played. Uh, it's not particularly something that I love doing. It's something that I do for, for a few quid. I'm not going to lie. Um, uh, to pay, help pay the rent. And that, that's how it is. But um, but yeah, you, you make a very valid point. The fact that the referees are not being like pushed unless they try and push themselves. Like they, I, I could, if I wanted, go and do three or four different courses, get myself pushed up into the top levels of Welsh football. But I don't want to. And no one's pushing me to do that. Like at the end of the day, there's no there's no progression unless the referee themselves want it. So it, it's it's a very difficult one, and I don't know why you would would. I think that the higher you get, probably the different challenges you get. Because if if for example, if I referee a game at grassroots football, I'm like I have to also do offsides, and the amount of abuse you get for offsides when you're a ref when there's no lino. That's 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 top level. But then when you go up to the top level, it's like VAR. Do they actually know what's going on? That kind of thing. So it's it's an unsolvable problem. It's all about trying to reduce the damage of it, really, and, and trying to get the right decision most of the time. It's 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 impossible, really, mate. I I don't really know how how anyone can solve it. But with no linos and people having a go, understandably, when they're offside, when they're onside and they're the ruled offside, it's not the it's not the referee's fault. And the striker gets obviously really wound up, especially if it's a key goal in a game. Then, until them, till them, um, till the official bodies. Put one second on mute. This the dog's gone mental. <laughs> I was listening at home. Ben's dog is going crazy. <laughs> I'm back. Good, do- good guard dogs. You see, they only shout when someone's near the house. <laughs> Uh, I never, never tell him off, but just for, for going nuts when someone approaches the door. <laughs> I was just saying, but yeah, I was saying, oh, may as well just in, just Ben, Ben's dog going mental. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, yeah. um, but moving on, I mean, is there anything else? Um, you talk about my mild story back from injury as well. Um, we just got on the referee topic in a minute. We're still on referees, are we? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, Josh Gowling, obviously. There was there was a moment that I kind of honed in on, and you'll see in, in the interview I kind of asked him a couple of times about the same incident with Dan Smith. However, on the break, and there was probably four on three going forward, and the referee just out of nowhere blew his whistle and penalised Dan Smith for a foul. This was probably seventy minutes into the game with Hereford chasing. It was one of the only times that Southport really did look on the rocks, and Dan Smith was charging forward. I think he had. Miles Story had made a run. I think Ishmael was on at that point. I think he'd made a run. And Southport were really looking like they were going to be opened up. And then the referee out of nowhere just blew his whistle. And the whole, and it was that sort of momentum. And it was niggly little fouls. But every time Hereford seemed to get the ball and seemed to be able to open Southport up, the referee would blow his whistle for something. And Story was ruled offside, one chance. And uh, towards the end, I think that Southport scored a second by that point as well. But yeah, it was just like every 10 minutes, it seemed to be every time Hereford had a break, it was calling it back for an earlier foul or a niggly little tackle or, you know, when you just play on. And that's why I really asked Josh 
uh, at Southport, not to, to have a go at the ref, but it was just, it was frustrating for me sat in the stand. So for the Hereford fans, they must have been furious by the referee on, on Saturday because every time Hereford got the ball to, to attack, he seemed to blow his whistle. And that's that was just, he just didn't let the game flow at all in the second half when Southport were ahead. Um, no issues before that Southport took the lead, I think, really. But as soon as Southport were ahead, it was like break, he constantly trying to break the game up. And it was like he had something against Hereford trying to get back into the game. And this is a neutral reporter fan, so the fans must have been furious about it because he, he wasn't a good referee to sit, display it was as a whole. Um, there wasn't like a key moment where you say that was definitely a penalty or definitely a foul. It was just as a whole, it wasn't a, wasn't a great... Uh, he didn't let the game flow. Yeah, definitely. Um, moving on for, from refs, because I think it's just an endless endless cycle of problems really with them. Um, we'll move on to uh, to injuries and a bit of positivity from a, a week of, well, not great results, of course. Miles um, Story and Ben Pollock um, back, Ben. It's, it's good to see, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, uh, Miles, he didn't look fit, really. Um, he just looked like he was missing that last 5-10%, which, which is obviously understandable. He's missed a month of football, of competitive football, and then thrown in against a good defence at 1-0 down and told to go and try and find a, a way through to get his side back into the game. He threw everything at it, put everything into his performance, but just looked like he was lacking that little 5, 5%, 10% burst, which in this league, we know one goal separates games quite often. Um, obviously, two goals on Saturday, but one goal was in it for quite a while and and you you need that little five ten percent uh, difference. It makes a massive massive difference in this league. So um, yeah, you're just not quite there. But I'm sure another week of training this week, full on training, because um, I wasn't expecting both, either of them to play Ben Pollock or Miles Story. They were both I was told in light training. Um, obviously, a decision was made that they could play. Um, yeah, when Josh tells me light training. In midweek, you're always kind of a bit skeptical over that because he likes to keep other managers guessing with his preview comments. So if he says a player's out, you know, take it lightheartedly, <laughs> a pinch of salt, really. And uh, so I wasn't really surprised when I saw Miles' story training with the first team because uh, when um, loads of watch Hereford week in week out will will know that every time, kind of the first team, first eleven warm up together and the substitutes warm up together and they do a little bit to get as, as a squad, and the, but mostly it's separate. And Miles' story was warming up with the first 11, even though the team sheet said he wasn't in the first 11, there was obviously 12 of them warming up together. So it was obvious that Miles' story was going to play a part at some point, a big part in the game. And um, but yeah, just lacking, lacking that little bit of um, flair and that bit of um, bite that he had. But exciting that he's come back because he's not played with Janai Gordon yet. And he's the sort of player that will feed off Gordon really well. Uh, Gordon will win the balls for him and Story will be able to run at defenders, which he's wanted to do all season, but not been able to do. Um, he's still been, he's still had a good scoring record for Hereford this season, but he's not had that that freedom to go and run at, for, at defenders for a full 90 minutes. It's always Story holds the ball up, plays it to someone else, and then he's got to go and run. And by the third or fourth passage of play, the defence is already organised. Whereas he needs that, 
that person to hold it up and then play him in. So it's almost second phase of play. And um, so, yeah, that's that's exciting in, for, in the next couple of weeks uh, to see them two to partner in together and how Dan Smith also feeds off them and Ryan McLean feeds off. So you've you got four or five options now. Zelly Ishmael coming on, Kuyard, another different aspect. And um, Harry Pinchard, when we eventually get to see him, I think um, he's got he's got groin injuries from from trying to come back into football too quick. I think after being out for quite a while um, over the last couple of seasons. So um, hopefully, when he comes back, and uh, the options is the most encouraging thing uh, coming off the bench. If you you've got two or three different attacking options, um, is exciting. It's exciting, and um, so yeah, hopefully we'll see more of that on Saturday. Yeah. So, um, moving on to, of course, my favourite section of the week, Ben. Um, we, we can't forget about the Fantasy League. It's all going a little bit more smoothly for, for Chris uh, at the moment. He's moved up into the top 20. I was, I peaked at 10th. I'm slowly be- climbing way, my way back up there. And I am only, I think it's about 13 or 14 points away from the top 10, uh, which is, which is, which is great. I'm not going to lie, but then we've got Ben Goddard. We, we have to scroll a little bit down um, to find him, but, but 52nd, Ben, 40, 40, 41 points last week. I think Mo Salah might have, uh, might have saved you once more. <laughs> Always rely on Mo. When's he off to African Cup of Nations? In January. So that's going to be cool. I have to change my team and my uh, Route 1 tactic around. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Because he's not going to work, is he, till April? Nope. Nope. He's going to be well out of it. So um, your heart will be broken, Chris, and it'll, it'll, be, it'll be out. It'll be that, that'll be in for the season, probably. <laughs> I only, I only, you can wish. But um, Boxy's Barmy Army, a 1, 000, the first person to break the 1,000-point mark um, in uh, the league this year. 1,012 points. Well done to you. Um, but yeah, hopefully I can continue climbing that table because it's not, I'm not that far off from the top 10. We all know what we, uh, we, what we'd like to see. Um, but yeah, Ben, is there anything else we've missed? Uh, we've got um, Curzon on Saturday. Curzon. We haven't even talked about Curzon. We, 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 I'm getting into the habit now of, uh, of missing out games that are actually coming up. We'll talk about <laughs> Curzon now um, as a, a little extra bit of the bonus at the end of the pod. Um Talk about it, man, because Curzon are another team chasing the playoffs. Um, they play better football, arguably, than Southport. Of, in uh, uh, people, uh, people do uh, do say so. Uh, yeah, um, should be a decent game at Edgar Street. Yeah, so um, Curzon mixed um, good as good at home as they are away. Uh, so that kind of shows that they're probably consistently decent side. Um, they're probably. I would say they're not as good as Hereford, te- technically, um, but I think it'll be a pretty even game. Um, Hereford should be beating Curzon Ashton. If Hereford want want to be fighting for them top three, four spots come the end of the season, they need to be beating teams like Curzon Ashton. I mean, for all, all for all of Curzon Ashton been good this season, um, three wins away, two draws, two losses. They're one of the average teams, I mean. Hereford, like away from away at Curzon, you take a point. But if Hereford really want to do something this season, then they need to be beating Curzon Ashton Edgar Street. No doubt, no doubt about it. I mean, Curzon aren't a team full of money. They play at a, like a sports complex, and they get a couple hundred fans at home. They're not. They're not big 
big gun team. They're not. Hereford should not be worried about the likes of Curzon Ashton coming to Edgar Street. If if they're worried about Curzon Ashton coming to Edgar Street and settling for a point, then you're worried about the season. I think you you, you expect them to beat Curzon Ashton um, at Edgar Street if, if they want to be a top four, four or five team at the end of the season. Then these are the sort of games they need to win, especially ahead of a really tough um, Christmas fixture list. I mean, Kidderminster twice. Um, one second, I'll just get their fixtures up. Obviously, you got Curzon this weekend. It's um, a week break, isn't it? Because they're not week break, yeah. which Hereford will be really glad about because Kidderminster will be playing. <laughs> um, I'm not sure. What, and also, they've got their FA Cup heroics to come as well. Yeah. I think the third round in January. Think so at the moment. I just got the fixtures up here. You got Kersen at home, then a week's break, then Boxing Day, Kidderminster away, Gloucester at home, then Kidderminster at home again in the second of January. That's a very tough six or seven days. That is, and then uh, Brackley away, Brackley are fighting at the top, yeah, with Kidderminster and Fylde. Brackley are, are a very good team, they have been consistently very good for the last three or four years. So, um, I wouldn't expect anything at Kid at Brackley at all. If they get a point, that would be very impressive. Um, Kidderminster away, they'll be fly. They're flying Kidderminster, especially on their own ground. You you take a point there. Gloucester at home, you you want to beat Gloucester, but oh, Gloucester got some good players as well. So yeah, and Kidderminster at home again. We've seen what Kidder, Kidderminster are a bit worried about um, about coming to Edgar Street. I think. So I think the two home games will be big. I think if you can win one, you, you'd, you'd say one win from them after the Curzon. I, I really hope they beat Curzon on Saturday because it will set them up nicely for Christmas. And then maybe one one or two wins. That, maybe win, they could win both home games. It sets them up really well. Uh, if you win one of them, That'd probably be a par, an average, and then maybe nick a couple of points away. But yeah, it's a it's a tough couple of games. And then Gateshead, who are on a good run themselves as well, and also in the FA Cup as well. Uh, I think actually, I think they got beat, mate. Yeah, I think they got beat, but they're in the FA Cup um, last week, so they're obviously going great guns. And then Dan, they've they're visiting in January as well, so it's real tough Christmas period and. Uh, need a result against Curzon on Saturday to set them up for it otherwise the pack might start running away again and I don't think how we're looking over their shoulders but you might be looking at how many points they are at the playoffs come the middle of January and that's not really the situation they want to be in not at all but anyway yeah there we go thank you very much uh, for listening to the 20th episode of Bullscast I believe it is um, which is which is pretty crazy to think about it because we started it up. We I didn't really have a bloody clue about national North football, and we're here at episode twenty already. And I'm uh, I've, I've learned a little bit, Ben. I've learned a little. No bit. anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I've learned a little bit thanks to football manager. Thank thanks to football manager and Bullscast and Hereford Times. That's all. I, I am now. I, I would class myself as a competent man of knowledge about the Vanarama National North so, so <laughs> more than myself then <laughs> <laughs> but there we go so yeah thank you very much for listening and we will catch you in the next episode see you later